On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 15th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening, I'm William Hosea. And what began as a group of friends gathering at Lake Monroe to watch the lunar eclipse over the 4th of July weekend devolved into an alleged attempted lynching when a group of white men followed, cornered, and assaulted a black man, Box Booker, and threatened to get a noose after claiming Mr. Booker and his friends were trespassing on private property. Dozens of people witnessed the incident, multiple videos were taken, but as of yet, no arrests have been made. Now, the Federal Bureau of Investigation has announced an investigation into the attack on Mr. Booker. On July 2nd, a Lawrence County Sheriff's deputy questioned and detained a Black Bloomington resident while he walked in his neighborhood in an apparent example of racial profiling. Lawrence County Sheriff Mike Branham said one of his detectives who lives in Monroe County and in the same neighborhood as the black man, was cleaning out his vehicle when a neighbor came up to him and pointed out the black man. The neighbor said the man was walking in the area and looking into cars. The detective recorded this conversation and called from Monroe County Dispatch to ask for a deputy to respond. The deputy arrived and took over the investigation. To further aggravate matters, demonstrators were hit by a car at a July 6 Black Lives Matter protest rally held in response to Mr. Booker's attack. The driver has since been apprehended and brought into custody. Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton expressed his outrage and grief over the racially motivated incidents that occurred last week. In a public statement, he wrote, these separate incidents exemplify the persistence of racism and bias in our country and our own community. To help us process all of this, we have invited Vox Booker to join us to discuss his attack, also joining him to provide perspectives on this and other incidents are City of Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton and Indiana Democratic nominee for State Senate, Shelley Yoder. Mr. Booker, Mayor Hamilton, and Ms. Yoder, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you. Well, we have uh, read through an introduction of sorts, and I want to first offer the mayor an opportunity to sort of provide an observation on all that's gone on over the last uh, few weeks, and and then we'll just sort of go around and get observations, and then turn things over to Mr. Booker to get his account. Well, thank you for having me on, and it's a pleasure to be with you all. Uh, I hate to go before Vox. Vox is the is the one with the the story, but I will share uh, just very briefly the when I saw the video uh, Sunday night, I guess it was July 5th, it was like a punch in the stomach to see uh, those um, that encounter, I guess, with the vitriol and the racism so so blatant uh, and evident and danger. Uh, it was really uh, terrifying to watch and of course, a hundred times worse to be in and we'll hear about that. Um, it, it certainly has motivated our community to continue the work uh, and recognize the 
presence of racism in our community and around our community and in our country. Uh, that's not a surprise to anybody on this show or listening to this show, I don't think, but it, but it was um, an awful um, incidence of that. Um, I sometimes as mayor rem remind myself, my job is to try to, my first job in some ways is to help keep my residents, my visitors safe uh, and seeing that happen to, to Mr. Booker, a resident of Bloomington was, uh, was horrifying. Um, and then the subsequent events, uh, the car uh, hit and run uh, at a peaceful protest. Uh, we've certainly, that was uh, scary, terrifying, and also aggravating. I'm really glad the driver is in custody, has been brought into custody. And the other event too uh, uh, that you mentioned of, this, of the racially biased stop, um, it, it's just, I'll just, it, it's just a reminder that we have a lot of work to do uh, to take care of each other uh, and to fix our communities. And uh, Shelly, if you'd like to share your observations over what's transpired over the last couple of weeks now, not only including what's happened to Vox, but also uh, the apparent racial profiling. And of course, there's, there, there's really no excuse for someone ramming a car into protesters. But if you'd like to share your observations. I, I first want to just thank you for uh, giving us an opportunity to continue this conversation, because what we don't want to see happen, you know, it's been a week. Uh, and we have not seen any justice for Mr. Booker. And we cannot let this cycle out of, of what I would say, uh, the, uh, the white community's um, interest. And what I want to say about this is watching the videos with Mr. Booker, horrifying. Watching the videos of Mr. Davis being stopped for taking a walk in his community, disgusting watching in the video of our students who happen to be football players but racially profiled on lake monroe seeing them identified and then watching and listening to the dnr officers in that encounter just makes me so angry and disgusted here are three things that i, I think we should think about number one let's talk about the profiling um, of, of the students on Lake Monroe. What really stood out to me was their quickness in wanting to arrest. And the one line that I thought, we need to address this, was the DNR officer said, get off my parking lot. Get out of my parking lot or get off of my parking lot. Whose parking lot is that? That is our, it's all of our parking lots. That is not his parking lot. That is their parking lot. The thing that stood out with the, one of the things that stood out with the exchange with Mr. Davis and on his own street in front of his own house, taking a walk, having to have ID on him. He had ID on him. And I thought, how, how disturbing that he goes out every morning, he has a cup of water, he's out on a, on a walk, and he knows he cannot leave his house without identification. We need to be asking these additional questions, not, not just on the over-policing and devaluing and dehumanizing of Black lives, but just all of the minor and uh, the minor aggressions and the, the microaggressions and these different ways that it impacts um, our neighbors, um, our neighbors of color. And then the, uh, the third episode that I want to talk about and why we're here and he's hearing Mr. Booker's story is listening it when I read, first of all, when I read Mr. Booker's 
Facebook post, what stood out to me was when he said, when the assailants were saying, you white people leave, his fear that they, that they would. And the fear was justified because we white people have not been allies or advocates and we have a reckoning and it's time that we do something about that, everything that we can do about that. And Vox, as, as the person in the center of all of this, you've given, given a number of uh, interviews, I don't know about any on, on radio, but maybe on TV. And to my knowledge, those interviews are kind of limited to a few minutes at a time. So what we want to do is give you a chance to give you a full accounting of what happened that day. If you don't mind, just walk us through the whole thing, because this is your community and your friends and colleagues have, have been waiting to hear you speak on this. William, I don't, I don't really know if this is just about me. I mean, there were so many systemic issues in the community and I don't feel like my experience in our community is defined by this single moment, but I'll, I'll briefly go over uh, the encounter. Uh, our nation's uh, celebration of independence, 4th of July, uh, a friend and I uh, decided that we would go out to Lake Monroe to uh, watch the lunar eclipse. Uh, I knew, the only other person I knew was the organizer on our way hiking in, uh, we encountered a gentleman in a Confederate flag hat. Uh, there was some tension. Uh, we were cordial uh, and, and slightly, you know, acknowledging with a head nod. Then we continued on. Uh, he pursued us in the ATV moments later, told us we were on private property. Uh, and really, one of the things that I haven't talked about often was that he, uh, excuse me, at, at this point, he said, uh, well, let me give you a ride. And we thought maybe the destination was, was farther in than we had thought. So we, we jumped on the ATV, the back of the ATV for the moment. Uh, and he took us maybe 60 or 80 feet. And it was at that point, I really just felt like it was uh, a microaggression, uh, which is still just an aggression. Uh, but either way, uh, we thanked him. Uh, and then we went and spoke to the event organizer uh, relayed that he had said we want private property. Now, I already knew that we weren't on private property. I spent, I spent countless hours, like literally talking about property rights uh, throughout our, our, our community. One of the things I do is chair the county's affordable housing commission. We're getting ready to redo zoning ordinances uh, and understanding these things from property rights, even sewer systems are just what I do daily. Uh, so I knew that we were still within the, the, the public uh, land of the beach, uh, but it, it was just easier to apologize. Uh, the event organizer relayed to us that that wasn't actually his land. He wasn't actually the property owner. Uh, so at that point, we thought we should just let our friends know all the other folks coming. Uh, let's just take the beach. That way no one encounters them. Uh, and uh, a short time later, some folks showed up uh, and a gentleman relayed to us, and he was a white gentleman relayed to us, that uh, he had had white power chanted at him and that these individuals had blocked off the beach with a, a boat and some ATVs. Basically, I felt like essentially setting up a checkpoint. Um, so everyone knows that I'm not a guy that just will allow injustice to happen. It was easy to go down there to, to just have a conversation with not just this individual uh, who I figured at the moment was the, was the 
main main vodka chore here was the with the guy in the Confederate flag hat is what I was assuming. Uh, and there was some other folks in his party, so I thought they might be more reasonable. And you know, I've worked in mental behavioral health care for years. Uh, I've got so many hours of conflict de-escalation. I just recently uh, finished restorative justice and mediation training with CJAM. Uh, I can have a conversation with folks. And for a moment there, that we went down there, friend and I, uh, the friend stayed slightly back. The conversation was, was somewhat productive. Uh, you know, we're all just trying to be out here, we're having a good time. Uh, we didn't mean to disrespect you guys and, and, and if you felt that way. Uh, and then when the gentleman that uh, had the Confederate hat, the Confederate cowboy hat came in, the situation just quickly uh, devolved. He was instantly aggressive, became belligerent, and my friend and I just simply walked away. So it wasn't until a few moments later uh, that I heard some footsteps come up quickly behind me. Uh, several gentlemen ended up accosting me and dragged me to a tree. Uh, you know, beating on my body. I mentioned that the, the one guy uh, with the hat on initially uh, tried to jump on my neck with both of his feet and his full body weight. Uh, people screaming not to kill me. Uh, one of the things I want, want to point out is that these are several videos, several people's videos I put into one post. So when people were asking, you know, why didn't anyone do anything? People were engaging and people were pointing them, you know, getting them off me. Uh, it was just that that wasn't all captured in one instance. Um, and it wasn't about increasing the violence. And even when we're walking away and these individuals are pursuing us, uh, we'll still not, we, you see that people are using themselves as human barricades to keep them from me. And uh, we're still not trying to really escalate this. I wanted people to see uh, the reality of how these folks felt. Uh, there's, a, there's a scene in the video where I say, say what you want to say, because I want people to see and understand the reality of this is just blatant racism. These are some individuals who provoked this encounter simply because they had been targeted me to begin with. Uh, luckily, our neighbors have stepped up in the moment and, and folks like Shelly uh, and John have continued to, to make a stand and speak. Uh, and I'm grateful for that, but this is a national flashpoint this, and it's made international news. Several incidents in Bloomington have recently made international news. Uh, and like it or not, we become a symbol. Uh, I know that the Department of Justice and uh, the United States Department of Justice from the uh, Reconciliation Division have reached out to the county and they've indicated that they will reach out to the city as well, uh, if they haven't already, uh, to begin the process of how do we transform this community? Because what we need to do is move from this landscape of injustice and move towards justice. And that's going to take a multi-pronged very complex in, in an approach that we have to be dedicated to. Uh, Boggs, uh, as uh, painful as as that was, I want, I want to thank you for, for reliving that um, because there is a psychology involved in that. And then there's the reality that, hey, this is going south very quick. And as you said, you were uh, an individual that has had training in de-escalation and no doubt you're drawing on all those skills. Uh, and some intents and purposes, some could say that that may have really saved your life. Um, one other question I'd just like to ask is, what, you mentioned a movement that's starting now, and that this is now national, international, there's intervention from other investigative bodies. What would you like to see happen to your attackers? 
it is not my place to determine their destiny. I want to see them go out before the justice system and before the people and held accountable. Uh, but I think it's important that we understand that accountability is not necessarily punishment. It doesn't mean that they might, that they shouldn't, after soap sentences or, or whatever the public, you know, deems fit uh, for society. But we've got to understand that you can't hold the same system that basically allowed them to believe they could do this unchecked, uh, accountable for transforming our community. We have to change the justice system. We were already engaged with that. I was already, already working on, you know, the Human Rights Commission. As a Human Rights Commission, I was already working on uh, the countywide justice review uh, that we started last year. We need to make sure that we put teeth into these things. And, and I know a lot of folks are calling to defund the police. And I think that's, that terminology is inflammatory. And, and it was probably designed to be that way. But we really need to focus on where we are going to invest our resources. And we need to make sure that we understand that strong, safe cities have robust safety networks. Um, you know, poverty is the greatest indicator of crime, not the amount of police that, that a community has. Police don't stop crime, they just merely police crime. Uh, and it's just time that from the city and from the county and in throughout the nation that we really, we prioritize uh, how we move forward. Mayor Hamilton, uh, would you care to reflect on what Box just described or how he described his experience? And can you provide us with any updates? Well, Box, uh, thank you for sharing that again. I've, I've, I know you must have told the story many times, uh, and I appreciate you doing that. It is important for people to hear it, and I appreciate hearing it again. It's uh, sobering, it's, it's uh, terrifying, it's horrifying. Um, and it's true, it needs to be told. I mean, the, the story needs to be told. I, I think, you know, one of the things I would say is the importance of transparency and accountability in these systems. Um, we, we can and we should talk about structural racism and its effects in our community and across the country in so many ways, but at least one area that it's been important to me and I think it's important going forward is, is really transparency and accountability in the public safety world. Um, there certainly has been uh, and still is uh, uh, racism and legacies of racism in our in our public safety world. Um, knowing uh, the data, sharing the data, sharing the uh, the um, performance, the training, the accountability is is really important. Um, you know, our police department in Bloomington uh, has done a lot of things. It's changed a lot over the years. It's continuing to evolve and needs to continue to evolve. But one of the things fundamental to all these law enforcement agencies, whether it's the DNR, I guess it's the um, Indiana Conservation Officers are technically the police arm of the Department of Natural Resources, or whether it's the Sheriff Department, um, both of, are the two of which were involved in the, the incidents that have been described. Um, they need to be more transparent. They need to uh, acknowledge all their uh, interactions with the public. Uh, our police department tries to do that a lot. Um, and we find things we need to know about, racial disparities in what we do. Um, and you, the first step is acknowledging and naming and identifying the scope of the issue. Uh, I, Mr. Booker's reference box, I'll call it, um, a friend, uh, you know, I, I agree with so much of what he said about Police, police are not going to stop crime. They, they try to resolve it or avoid it, but mostly they respond to it. But the challenge for our community is to invest in the things that prevent crime and that prevent the social stresses and 
disparities and, and uh, in, interactions that cause particularly violent crime, which we want to um, really get rid of as much as possible. So I, uh, and I'm happy to talk about some of what we do in Bloomington, but you know, maybe the last point I'll make is, look, we're in a red state. Uh, we're, in a, we're in a country that is dramatically underfunding many of these things from public schools to, to uh, uh, job support, to food support, to housing support, to all these fundamental parts of helping our community be strong are way underfunded because in my view, we, we don't have the right uh, approach at the state and national levels and, and we locally should do all we can to remedy that. For those who've just joined us, uh, we are having a conversation uh, regarding the attack on Mr. Box Booker and several other incidents that have been occurring in our community, in the Bloomington community. Uh, the voice you just heard was City of Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton. And we just heard a sort of long recounting of the event by Mr. Box Booker. And then uh, we have Democratic nominee for State Senate, Shelley Yoder, on with us. I'd like to ask her a question. Um, uh, Mr. Hamilton, Mayor Hamilton was discussing sort of looking forward what needs to change in sort of the legislative sphere. Um, for all intents and purposes, you'll soon be a state senator. <laughs> and um, I, I'd like to ask you some of the initiatives that, that you'll pursue in that role and capacity. One very notable uh, lack in Indiana is that we don't have a hate crimes bill. And the other thing is uh, other measures that may prevent what's going on, maybe looking at DNR or the conservation officers, their role in policing and policies, training, because there were some accounts that were shared that to me sounded a little just awkward as far as who they questioned first or, or how they comported themselves, the whole thing. Your, your thoughts on legislatively what needs to happen in the state of Indiana? I do want to speak to legislatively what we can do. Uh, but first, I want to go back, and I appreciated what the mayor said about how important language is. It is so important, and there needs to be some recognition and some accounting to different phrases that are used that are really now white phrases that are heard very differently in our Black community. Pub, uh, public safety. Um, that means one thing um, in, to... Um, a white mother as a, and very differently to a black mother. Um, issues like police, law enforcement. When, when you think about law enforcement, the different role in policing some groups and protecting other groups. I think there just needs to be an, a conversation about this because it isn't, it isn't right, it isn't just. And I, I really appreciate uh, what Dr. Dr. Barty Myers has been saying that in this country, we do not have a, a justice system, we have a legal system. And I think that's a, a very different um, way of thinking about it. But back to what we can do um, legislatively in the 2021 uh, session. Well, our Indiana Black Legislative Caucus has been crying out for these changes and reforms for a long time. And they have now put them down 12 different initiatives and just Finally, this week, the governor has said, okay, I'll listen. I mean, that in and of itself is a microaggression to say, uh, you don't have a voice that I want to listen to, or I'm too busy to listen to that voice. That is, uh, that is a power play, and that's a microaggression that, as 
Box said, it's not, there's not much micro about it. It is, it is just a form of aggression. But I wanted to go through those 12 initiatives. Statewide use of body and dashboard cameras. Statewide special prosecutor for police misconduct and use of fatal excessive force. Public reporting of lethal force involving law enforcement. Number four, statewide public database for citizens' complaints against law enforcement officers. So important. Number five, anti-racial profiling law, because that's what we saw here um, over the weekend. Enhanced penalties for officer-involved shootings. Inclusive hate crime legislation, because we do have a hate crimes bill now, but it is not inclusive, and we need to address these the, the different classes, age, gender, and gender identity. Those we did not even address, or we did address. Democrats pushed for that, and it got Blacked, it got marked out of the final bill, so it is not an inclusive hate crimes bill. We need to ensure that fraternal order of police, our police union, that the contracts are public, are a part of public record, and requiring a public hearing for renewal. Mental health reviews of public, of our law enforcement officers. Confidential whistleblower complaint process for officers. And implicit bias, dispute resolution, and de-escalation training for officers. It's astounding that we are here having this conversation because they, they seem very reasonable. We should be doing this. We should have done it already. But these are the kinds of things that we can be pushing for. Our citizens can be demanding in the 2021 session. So as I hear you elaborate, um, I hear you saying that you will help push for such a hate crimes bill. Absolutely. A hate crimes bill with teeth mm -hmm. uh, that can address sort of what's been going on. Absolutely. Yes. And Shelley, I think it's interesting that you brought up microaggressions coming from the governor. I think it's important to note that the, the first statement he put out about this incident was that he supports what the uh, DNR uh, officers did. And I, I don't know why he thinks that was necessary, but I want to move over to Box again. Um, you know, we have witnessed a renewed vigor of hate around the country under Donald Trump's reign. Now that you've had this experience, uh, I want to ask you to go back and share with us what went through your mind when you heard those words, get a noose? What were you feeling after the attack was over and you were free? And, and what are you feeling now? More specifically, I just want to ask you to describe the flood of emotions going through your body and at different points uh, before, during, and after the incident. William, I've done a lot of that. And, and I've done a lot of that because it's been in uh, the public realm. Uh, but here at home, where uh, everyone, you know, we all know each other, it's not the first time I've been at the show. Um, I really want to focus on what we do to change our community because what I've heard at the moment, I feel like, has been this thing that we often do, which is abdicate uh, power. We say, well, you know, we'll this liberal mecca, and but the state comes down or the president comes down. There are concrete actions that two years ago, I would suggest you being on the show. So yeah, at, the, at that moment when I, you know, I'm getting beaten, pounded, those emotions are powerful. Uh, I'm surrounded by all white folks. Uh, I'm worried that, uh, am I going to live? Are they going to leave me? Am I going to be another hashtag? It's not so much the experience, but what we do after the fact that that resonates and, and that I want to define me, especially in, in our community. Folks need to know that we have things that we can do here. A lot of those points that Shelley listed off in the Black Caucus, we've done locally, but there's more that we can do. On information sharing uh, alone, we can be much more transparent. We even have the ability that we can break down 
the, the demographics of racial encounters by officer. We could you look at use of force of rate, the use of force by each officer. Uh, we could create a true civilian review board. Um, we have a board of public uh, of public safety that that the mayor appoints, but we can create an outside organization that would have more teeth than the board of public safety currently does, and we've seen other communities do that. We also need to make sure that every every element of our local law enforcement has an outside reporting mechanism for complaints. One of the biggest things that, that stops folks from complaining is most often you have to go to the police to complain about the police. I know that there are some other avenues, but they're not convenient. We need to make sure that there is a public complaint process in our local community that is always transparent. We need to, to, uh, to say, hey, Mr. Mayor, we, we appreciate your support. This is what we would like. Hey, city council folks, uh, you know, you you just recently uh, issued, you know, a statement that, that Bloomington denounces, you know, white supremacy and these things. Let's go ahead and put teeth behind that in action. Two years ago, we were on this show when uh, a bus attendant had, had I felt profiled me and, and accused me of stealing a bus pass. You know, we've had two years that we could have instituted ordinance that would protect folks like me and, and other vulnerable populations from being targeted by the police the way that we saw uh, with uh, D. Davis being profiled by this officer. We need to make sure that if people, white people often use uh, the police as a way to outsource violence, they can, they can call a police officer and the police officer will come do the violence for them. They feel like they have the power of the state. We need to start curtailing that. We need to change the functions of police officers in our community. Uh, we don't need, for example, an armed police officer to respond to an accident scene to take a report. We already have traffic police that could be trained to do that. Uh, we need to, and for one thing, it's not fair to the community or to police officers to make them serve so many purposes in the community when we, when, that they aren't trained for, trained adequately, adequately for. We have folks that spend decades in mental behavioral health, decades in, in uh, responding to substance abuse and homelessness. We need to be empowering those folks because they're better equipped already to respond to these things. And domestic violence and, and, and you know, non and less, you know, the lethal situations where there's not a gun or a weapon involved. We also could have folks that are trained to respond to that. We have so many resources that we could bring forth in our community. And it's time for us to stop saying, well, you know, the state or well the president and say, we're going to do everything that we can do. Seems like a natural question posed to Mayor Hamilton. So Mayor Hamilton, if you'd like to respond to that. Sure. Um, Vox, you know, I think you've outlined a whole bunch of really good ideas. Uh, um, as you indicated, um, locally in the, in the Bloomington uh, uh, city, we've, we've adopted virtually all of those that have been mentioned um, that Shelley went through uh, for the state. Uh, and I think those are really important. But you mentioned a bunch more, which I think are, are really important and good. For example, as you said, why do we have to have a, an armed badged officer go to traffic accidents? I think that's a really good question. Um, you know that we've we uh, and we'll be looking at that actually. But and 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 um, you know we we before I became mayor, they, we created the downtown resource officer, which was really kind of a different design of a police officer, still armed and and full badge police officer. Since I've been in mayor, we've also added neighborhood resource specialists and social worker that are not armed badged officers. But I do think it's a really good question to ask. We, 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 and and you also indicate a lot of this is people calling on the police department to do things for them, sometimes violent things for them, 
when we asked the police department, we've asked them to do a lot of things. We, we had police departments in schools long ago, um, armed officers. Now, of course, there's, there's trade-offs on that. I'll, I'll mention a couple things that are cautions to me, just as thinking about how do we keep everybody safe, everybody. One is, um, one of the calls in the list from the Black Caucus is a state-based review of police action. And I certainly, I think that, I, I understand a lot about that, but I also have to say, I would actually trust Monroe County-based local review of our actions more than I would trust the state government at this point in terms of commitment to justice and accountability. So I'm just sensitive about, um, uh, sometimes, I was talking to some experts in Indianapolis and what they're going through and the issue of taking, letting the attorney general of the state, for example, run those kinds of things. I wouldn't, I'm not sure I would want that because uh, I just given the history of our state and, and their commitment to that kind of justice, but it's, it's worth talking about. The second thing I just say is, you know, our gun laws are just terrible, outrageous. And uh, you know, when we've had these protests, peaceful protests in town, it's, it, we've had, People with long with rifles on top of, of uh, buildings. We've had people with rifles walking through the crowd. Uh, we have probably 150,000 privately owned firearms in Monroe County, uh, if we're even close to the national average. And having that kind of armament all around us is really terrifying too. As, as a mayor, whose job is to try to help keep everybody safe, and I wish we could move forward on gun laws too, to to make sure we do a better job of uh, de-escalating, talk about de-escalating, one way to de-escalate is to not have the kind of weaponry that we have uh, all over our community. Uh, and anyway, but, but Vox's points, I think a ton of really good suggestions that we should be pursuing locally. Well, the proliferation of guns makes it, uh, makes life difficult for everyone, including the police. Um, but I wanna go over to uh, Shelly and ask, to ask, I want to ask you to comment on the racial profiling issues. Do you think Indiana needs a similar law that have been act, enacted by a couple of states to address police being called uh, on black people who are just living their lives or taking a slow, leisurely stroll in their own neighborhood? I do. And I, I would say that there, what we're seeing, what we're talking about these incidences are really obvious incidences of racism. They're, they're so, uh, they're so overt. And so I would say that the work of becoming an anti-racist community, an anti-racist state, we have a lot of, you know, people are you know, really excited and outraged about this and they have stated, or at least they're expressing a desire to do the work. Well, this is going to take, it's a lifetime of work. And when you, I really do appreciate um, the, the work of Ibram Kendi and talking about uh, there is no race neutral, that there is, it's either racist or it's anti-racist. And how do we begin um, really addressing and rooting out this racism? I think we need some serious training and we need, look, we need to look at every single piece of legislation that we're voting on. We need to ask ourselves, is this racist or is this anti-racist? Every single one, not just about policing, whether it's about education, whether it's about food security, whether it's about uh, social security, we need to ask this question. Because if it's not addressing, if it's not specifically anti-racist, then we need to actually say, then we're okay with it being racist. Because there isn't an in-between. And I think that kind of work is what is needed by every 
public servant right now in, in the public square. We need to be asking this question and then holding, holding our elected officials accountable. If you've just tuned in to Bring It On, you just heard the Democratic nominee for State Senate, Shelley Yoder, elaborating on a question posed to her about racial profiling. You've also heard responses from the city of Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton, and also a response and observations and his hopes for uh, what needs to change by Mr. Vox Booker, who was the subject of an attack uh, that was carried out on him on the 4th of July. And as he said, he has been a civil rights advocate in the city of Bloomington and has worked in several capacities, uh, while yet also still being the subject of violence and a target of violence in our community. I have a personal question for you. After the attack on you, I've gotten text messages and phone calls from family and friends asking me, am I okay? Are you safe? Are you staying safe? You're not from Bloomington. And do you have family now that's living in, in other states? Just, just yes or no? Do I have family living in other states? Uh, I have family all over the nation. Okay, now, what are they telling you uh, as far as what you need to do right now? What is their input to you? You know, so they've seen me struggle with change in all community for, you know, years at this point. I was on with Chief of Police Decoff uh, on a new program about two years ago. Uh, so, they're saying, you know, should, should I really stop investing my time in a community that seems invested and in, in not listening? But for your personal safety, what are, what are they asking you? Are they saying maybe perhaps think of moving or I know they're concerned about your safety, but what type of things are they asking you? They would absolutely like for me to move. Bloomington is uh, a city that we, we love to talk about. We're inclusive and welcoming, uh, but we've just seen from a string of public encounters and folks have been saying for a while that Bloomington isn't actually, you know, a safe city for minorities. And if you look at the, the data, we have uh, a great deal of, of racial inequality. So I am thinking about, and I, I've been thinking about for the last year, you know, is, is this really the place that I should make home or invest myself in? Uh, you know, we, we have a tremendous, lack of diversity in our leadership and on boards and panels and uh, one of the things that folks often say is uh, you know bloomington likes to have diversity but they don't like to have inclusion uh, they want black folks to be there but they don't want us to to change things uh, and we realize that you know that if you're going to give us a seat at the table you have to give us the power to make changes and to, to make bloomington a community where everyone feels welcome you know, to, 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 to talk about the mayor for a moment, you know, there, there are, uh, are things that, that he or the county could do. Uh, I know that, you know, folks have been talking about him uh, engaging a, a group called GARE that helps local governments uh, focus on systemic inequality and, and, and discrimination uh, within themselves for several years now. We need to, to if we're going to be in this fight, we need to be in this fight because we've become a symbol nationwide. There's no reason that a, a liberal mecca like Bloomington shouldn't be one of the most progressive cities in the nation. We need to ask the question of where we're going to go from here, because that's what I'm asking myself is where am I going to go from here? Am I going to, to move to where I feel like I might be safer, uh, or I'm going to continue to dig into my community and say, hey, let's move, move forward together towards justice.
Well, I hope you'll stay here, Vox. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm jumping in, but um, man, it's so important. Uh, it, it, it breaks my heart anytime I hear somebody uh, say they want to leave Bloomington. I, I, under, I understand that, um, but Bloomington's future depends upon being an inclusive, welcoming place where everyone truly belongs and feels they belong. We know that's not the case yet. Uh, I, I hope that it's accurate that we're better today than we were pick a date back in the future that we're getting better, but we're not where we need to be. And, and um, you know, we, we need to continue to uh, listen, listen, listen about how we get better, uh, more inclusive in government and in the community. Um, we, we've engaged, uh, as you as you all know, on this show too, we've had this discussion about the farmer's market and what's going on there. And we've seriously engaged with people from the Department of Justice now at the law school in Ohio State to do a really intensive uh, community deep dive about where is race happening. I know William does a state of the black community that's that's really important from my perspective to think about where where is the state of the black community. Let's measure it and think about whether it's in education or public safety or healthcare or, or uh, mental health or all those issues. And I, Vox, I hope you'll stay because you'll help Bloomington get better. Uh, and we need to we need, need to move in that direction. Keep moving in that direction. John, I, you know, we've had we've had a, a you know a, a nuanced past together. I really <laughs> hope that we can move forward. And I I I, I say this with, with our you know genuine honesty. I hope we can move forward, engage. Uh, and if there's a way that I can help, I'm willing. Uh, you know, I'm already on some boards and commissions, but uh, helping folks, you know, make sure that. We're putting dissenting voices and, and folks that don't agree all the time uh, on these boards and commissions or, and have different walks of life. In our community, uh, by far, we tend to uh, privilege folks that have college educations that are middle class uh, of all races. We need to make sure that uh, not only are we putting Black folks on boards and commissions and other Latinos and other folks and other demographics, we need to make sure that all those folks that we're not putting on those commissions are upper middle class folks with college educated degrees. We need to, to when it's about all of us, we need to make sure it includes all of us. I would Absolutely. say, well, yeah, I would also just add to that, um, really leaning into um, the voices that, that we don't want to listen to. This is basically what Commissioner Vox was saying um, about The voices, there are some voices that say what we want to hear. And those are the people that are a little safer to put on to some of these boards and commissions and run for office. Uh, but opening ourselves up to listening, as, as Mayor Hamilton said, we need to, um, it is time for we white people have a, a lot of listening to do. And then we need to implement some of these really important changes. I appreciate, uh, Reverend Jada B and our Black Lives Matter Bloomington Core Council putting together this training, this anti-racist training. We are so fortunate to have the types of resources, the uh, published authors, the researchers, the professors, the, the, the academic leaders in our community that are putting together an anti-racist training. And I do hope that our county commissioners, our county council, our city council, um, anyone who's running would be um, taking this anti-racist training, that we make that investment 
because we will get it back in every other way as we move forward as a community. This is an investment. It's not, it's not a, a price to pay. The price that's being paid are the price on black, black bodies and black lives. And I'm pushing this with um, my colleagues, that my soon-to-be colleagues in the state Senate, that I am asking that they join me in getting this training. Um, and I'm trying to get build some real uh, momentum there because we are fortunate to have it right here in Bloomington and it's training that, that we certainly need. Uh, Mayor Hamilton, there is uh, one conversation that I keep hearing more than any other. And it starts off, if that had been five black guys, uh, so on and so forth. Now, you've already shared your sentiments uh, on that issue, but you mind reflecting on that for us? Well, I, I've I mentioned that, of course, I think Vox's more directly aware of it. If we can all imagine if it had been five blacks uh, on the shores of Lake Monroe uh, who encountered the only white in a, in a large gathering uh, and assaulted that white and told the blacks, you guys, you guys can go, just leave this one with us. Uh, and um, uh, the, the, I think most of us would expect to see law enforcement in our history of how it's been working, that it would act differently. Uh, and that's inappropriate. Um, uh, I, you know, I, I think a full review of the Indiana Conservation Office and how they perform, full transparency is really, really important um, uh, because we have built in long-standing bias legacies in our, uh, in our uh, policing different, different forces. In Bloomington Police Department, we work really hard to try to get at that with, with officer training four or five times what the, what the state requires with, uh, with transparency and accountability, but no doubt we, we haven't eliminated um, the diversity of our force. We work very hard to change I, I, the Public Safety Review Board, which has been mentioned. Uh, there are five members of that board. There's not one white male on the board. It is 80% people of color. It is 60% women, uh, but, but we, we need to keep having transparency and, and um, accountability because I think most of us kind of would shake our heads and say, yeah, you'd, you'd see a different law enforcement response in that circumstance. And that, of course, should not be true. You know, I've, uh, I've been following a lot of the uh, sort of news, late, late breaking news stories, Vox, uh, that you've been um, sort of generating. One just recently was that, I guess, at a protest rally yesterday, uh, you and uh, your attorney, Ms. Lyle, are asking now for a grand jury to intervene in this situation. Um, and, and there's another thing that's sort of dangling out there for me, and I'm not sure, John, you're an attorney. Does it make a difference that this attack occurred on or off private property? Uh, why are people sort of grasping for that? And then also the grand jury intervention, uh, your thoughts on that box, and then uh, to Mayor Hamilton. So first of all, it doesn't matter whether it's on private or public property. In Indiana's private property law, it allows for reasonable reasonable defense of property. Uh, we, we, there's no one that's not going to say that, that this was unreasonable. Uh, as far as the grand jury, the grand jury has, uh, especially the type of grand jury that we called, has the power to use the, the federal hate right, uh, the federal hate crime legislation, uh, for not only my case, but to investigate these multitudes of cases that we're dealing with between, you know, uh, even with IMPD or other folks, it's time that we really call for 
really marshal in larger resources for our local communities uh, because we've, we've got to make lasting change. We've failed to, to institute these changes for generations. You can go back and listen to, to King or, or, or X or uh, Huey and, and hear them saying the same things that we're saying today. Uh, you can go back before that and, and hear Douglas saying the same things. Uh, it is our obligation to do this now. We haven't done it before. It's bigger than all of us. It's going to define not only our legacy, but the inheritance that we bequeath to those that come after us. And it's time to do this now. Commissioner Booker, I read that you and your attorney are calling on Governor Holcomb to consider taking guns away from DNR officers and significantly limiting their jurisdiction. You know, I saw someone uh, have the hashtag defund the fish police and it, it made me chuckle, but it really is time to examine the, the role of the DNR, the powerful agency. Unlike many agencies, they report directly to our governor uh, that bypasses a lot of the checks and balances that we would have on, on local authorities. Um, we need to, we just need to change things. But how would limiting their guns and, and, and uh, taking their guns and limiting their jurisdiction have helped your situation? So I think that we would have seen a different response if all local sheriff department had responded. Um, I think we've seen that for one thing, uh, our county as, as the mayor and folks have pointed out, we tend to, to be uh, more liberal and better training for officers. Uh, in Indiana, there's kind of a shared mutual jurisdiction between our departments. And we need to make sure that we are protecting our citizens. And if it becomes a point where uh, there's an organization, any organization that isn't best doing that, we need to re-examine how we utilize them. Uh, I don't, in most cases, I don't think conservation officers need to have guns. Uh, there are a lot of cases that, that we need to look at when armed security is necessary. We already have uh, state police and, and sheriffs that are armed in our county. Do we really need to have the Department of Natural Resources and conservation officers carry weapons as well? And I'm not saying that we take weapons away from all of them. There could always be an armed shift supervisor. I just don't know if it's necessary to patrol with weapons. If I may add, uh, Vox indicating the, the history of this, which is absolutely true, and I agree with most of what you just said there, too. I, I reached out to um, the Davis household after that event, which occurred just outside of city limits, so I, I didn't have any official jurisdiction, but I wanted to reach out to them, and I spoke to the elder, Mr. Davis Sr. D. Davis had left. I'm trying to still reach out to him if I can, um, but it was it was striking because D. Davis in that encounter was so incredibly uh, uh, calm and de-escalating, and he he made that situation not get worse because he knew he you know because of the history. And I spoke to his dad, and his dad said, "Well, he learned that from me because mm -hmm. he's seen me interact with police a bunch more than he should have." And uh, that that was just a a testimony. I mean, as Box said, this this this. This is a lasting generations long problem. I called a sheriff, by the way, in Lawrence County and said, never do that in Bloomington, please. I don't want your officers. Don't, don't stop somebody on my streets. He said, don't you want us to? I said, no, I don't want you to do that. Uh, and, and I told him that. And I don't know if Brad, if, the, if Mary Monroe County has said that. There's, there's kind of this 
expectation that if you're a law enforcement officer and somebody tugs on your sleeve, you'll go do what they say. And I said, I absolutely do not want you doing that in the city of Bloomington. But that legacy, D. Davis was incredibly de-escalating. He's the one who meant, he, he was perfectly right to say, forget it, I'm walking home. Turn, turn on his heels or run home, what the hell? But he didn't. Oh, I, <laughs> and the oh, fact I that he knew that from his father is what reminds us what, how much work we have to do. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, uh, bravo for that statement. <laughs> Uh, that that sense of reciprocity that I guess some sheriffs feel they have well, uh, is not welcome in this community um, in that way, in that capacity. Uh, and, and just for the record, we did reach out to uh, D. Davis to try to join us. We weren't able to secure the gentleman uh, for today's conversation. Uh, we're about three minutes away from the end of this conversation. And as always, it's too little time to discuss a lot of the relevant things that have been going on. Um, we have not talked at length about an individual who is at the top of the food chain, if you will, uh, number 45, who has been blowing so many dog whistles. I think dogs everywhere have been barking. And our, he has set our country on a course that needs to get righted very quickly. Um, and then compounding things with a pandemic and our economic situation, uh, this, this willingness to always run back to, well, they're going to take away your Second Amendment rights. I mean, what, what does that have to do with what we're going through? Uh, but that's for another show. But I'd like to go around and just ask our guests to comment one last time with the remaining time we have. And I want to thank you, first of all, for, for carving time out to join us for this, for this particular interview. We'll start um, with uh, the, the lady of the group, uh, uh, Michelle Yoder, who is our nominee, Democratic nominee for State Senate. And uh, please, if you will, some final remarks. I really thank you for having me on this, uh, on the show and having an opportunity to talk about these very important issues that we continue, we need to continue to talk about. And I wanted to go back and just really acknowledge uh, my appreciation for talking about the important use of language, because you better believe that those five um, assailants that almost lynched Commissioner Booker, what they said was, Leave, they, they did not say, leave that one here. They said, leave the boy with us. Mm. And that is just a, a power move, a dehumanization of I am over you. I, I, I don't see you as a full man. And I, I think we need to have this conversation in our, around the dining room table, around our conference tables, around um, in, in city hall and in our hallways at schools. We need to be talking about the way that we refer to each other. And I think uh, one of the things that um, what we're seeing uh, from number 45, um, from the top of, uh, what did you say? So the top of all of this is that um, very um, awful continuation of the dehumanization of, uh, of black lives, black people with this, the way that the language gets used and we need to be talking about that. That's one thing we can do. You know, when I read that story about um, Mr. Davis, I thought, we, you know, we, I've, I've learned as a white mother this whole idea of, of the talk that um, black mothers have to have with their sons. And I thought about his mother and his father, you know, I thought mm, they've had the talk because you absolutely could see um, how he was engaging um, with that off-duty uh, detective. So, we need to be continuing these conversations and thank you for having me. Um, I'm gonna be taking these conversations and demanding this change up at the State House. Your Honor. 
Uh, I'll just say, uh, I hope history will look back on 45 as a, as a terrible aberration in American history. It's up to us to make that true uh, because we need to make that. And I'll just, I'll just say, look, we just have to keep listening. I, I don't want to take more time from others. Uh, just keep listening uh, and keep, keep working together uh, to make our community better. Listen, listen, listen. Uh, and that's what I hope we all can do to, to voices that we haven't heard as much that we need to. And Commissioner Booker. Thank you folks for having me on. Thank you for all the advocacy that you do in our community. Uh, since you know, I, I know the roles that, that you gentlemen play as host and, and, and citizens in our community. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, uh, future Senator Yoder. I appreciate you all. I hope we all rededicate ourselves to uh, continuing to change your community. Uh, 45 is 45. He's not the, the, he's not the first or even, you know, the 40th racist president we've had. Uh, he may just be the most inflammatory one at the moment, but we need to make sure that we understand the people still have the power and the people are the ones that should be promoting change as well. And with that, we want to thank uh, Monroe County Human Rights Commissioner, local civil rights activist, and citizen of Bloomington, Vox Booker, and City of Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton and Indiana Democratic nominee for State Senate Shelley Yoder for joining us to discuss and process the recent traumatic events and experience by several citizens and how it's challenging our community. We'll comment more as we closely follow the developments surrounding this event. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea, an event, or happening for us to share, please send your emails directly to our volunteer staff. The address is bring it on at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share any and everything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. That email address once again, bring it on at wfhb.org. And you've been listening to Bring It On, the People's Forum for Black Culture in South Central Indiana and beyond. Are you a tweeter? You're invited to follow the WFHB News Twitter account. This is a great way to get breaking news and updates on what's going on behind the scenes and on the air with WFHB News. Go to twitter.com and search for WFHB News, or you can always visit WFHB's news website at wfhb.org news. This show's executive producer is Clarence Boone with help from WFHB News Department Director Kate Young. Our original theme music was created by Jamil FM with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Clarence Boone. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. 